do Jewish women talk about midlife? Hi, I'm Devara Krasniansky, and I've been coaching women for a long time in all areas of life, including women in midlife. Midlife is an exciting time, but it's also confusing, and so I invite experts to join me here as we unpack this crazy and interesting time of our lives. You can join our conversations on our Facebook group, Jewish Women Talk About Midlife, and on our website, Jewish Midlife. Welcome to part two of our Ayurvedic series. I'm excited to have Genya Tab and Jennifer Peck back with us to share their knowledge and expertise of Ayurvedic practices. Ayurveda is quite fascinating. It's an age-old science of life and living in balance with our own bodies and nature around us. Last time we were introduced to the concept and the link to listen or view that is in the show notes. Today, we dive deeper into the practical ways we can incorporate these principles into our daily routines. You'll hear about several rituals that you can incorporate. While all of them are quite easy to start and really don't cost that much, don't try to start all of them at once. Choose one that resonates with you and seems most feasible. In our fast-paced lives, it's easy to overlook the importance of taking care of ourselves. But these rituals not only have physical benefits, they also send a powerful message to ourselves that we matter. So join us as we discover the beauty and simplicity of Ayurvedic self-care rituals. I'm really excited to be having this talk. I think we spoke in the winter last time, and part of what we spoke about was about the sunlight and things like that. So I'm imagining that something's different in the spring and in the summer. So I'll have questions about that too, but let's just jump right into what we're talking about and self-care and balance and all of that. So Genya, Jen, whatever you want to start, again, just remind those who, about the work that you do in this area and then jump into the topic. Awesome. Thank you so much, Deborah. And thank you so much for doing this with me, Jen. So I'm so happy to be back here um, on Genya. And uh, many of you might know me uh, from the past. Um, so I am a yoga teacher and I am all, and I look at yoga as a health practice, a healing practice. And I also coach people um, going through either health situations or just like looking to learn how to eat properly and, you know, just declutter and let go of stuff in their life, in their lives to better their life. But today we are talking about self-care and self-care practices. And it's based on very, very old principles, Ayurveda, which is the science of life, the science of knowledge. And this goes back like thousands and thousands of years ago. So it's all about what we practice and how we live our life every day. And the ultimate in starting your day, and this is like a daily a daily practice, is how we wake up in the morning. What do we do when we wake up in the morning? How do you start your day? So your morning routine shapes the rest of your day. I mean, just making your bed or brushing your teeth. I mean, we know that as basics, but there's so much more for a healthy lifestyle. And we're all very, very busy. And we are doing so much before we even leave the house, before it's even seven o'clock in the morning. It's like drinking your coffee and going onto your phone immediately. Some people leave it by their bed and, and they're emailing everyone. They're forgetting about themselves. And then when for the rest of the day, are you really spending time on yourself? And the morning really sets the tone for the rest of the day. 
So I'm just giving you a little synopsis of why self-care is so important. And then we're going to go into the details of what you could do to start your day in like the most incredible uh, way, basically connecting with yourself and charging your battery for the day. And I always say I teach really, really early in the morning and I, I'm already seeing people with anxiety and stress. I mean, it's just stress stress from walking up the stairs to the class, they're already stressed. And it's not even 7.30 in the morning. So like when we start a practice in the morning, getting up early, hopefully with the sun, that is also a way to practice self-care instead of sleeping in. I know none of you moms are, or women are sleeping in with your lifestyle because I know you have a very, very busy lifestyle, but you have to remember yourself. And you have to do it to stay well. And that's really, really important, especially in general, we'll talk about that um, as we go into midlife um, and how we take care of our bodies because our bodies do go through transitions. So this is like even more so an important time to really tap into the, the time for yourself. Um, so let's begin um, with the rituals. I think we should go right into it. I think Jen will start. I have a list and we'll interject as we go along. So as we introduce Jen, Jen, you want to talk about the work that you do? In sure. This okay. So my name is Jennifer Peck. I also am a yoga teacher as well. Um, I actually started with yoga before I found Ayurveda. Um and, and as Genia mentioned, Ayurveda is thousands and thousands of years old. But one of the things I find super fascinating about it is that it's still to this day the largest healthcare system in the world. So I just I find that so fascinating for some reason. Um, just showing that it's it's proven. It's it's the science of life. Um, just as Genia mentioned, um, and you know, definitely the Eastern perspective. It's a whole full science. Um, I, I am an Ayurveda health counselor and working to be an Ayurveda practitioner. I'm actually really excited. I'm really close to the end. Um, by the end of summer, I'll be graduating with that. So it's been kind of a, a long um, trip in a sense. Um, but the difference between a health counselor and a practitioner, a health counselor really works with people that are kind of generally healthy, just need a little guidance for finding balance and what works for them, what their constitution, their dosha is, um, and just finding balance and maintaining that. Um, a practitioner starts to work with people that have started to have some sort of onset of disease in some way, shape, or form, whether it's early stage or even later stages of disease. Um, and Ayurveda can really offer a lot of support and can actually see through and overcome a lot of disorders and diseases, depending on the stage that, of the disease that we're in um, and depending on the disease itself too. But um, one of the things that Ayurveda is really good at, which is very different than Western medicine. Well, actually, let me say Western medicine. What they're really good at is like acute situations. We have amazing technology. We have, um, you know, great research and, and then the acute situations. Western medicine is awesome. Um, it starts to be with the chronic situations. The, the chronic diseases is where 
the Western medicine is, is lacking. Um, that's where we tend to find ourselves on lots of di different medications, one to manage this, and then another one to manage something else. Um, that's where Ayurveda can really step in and work with Western medicine as well um, to help to overcome or, or at least bring a better quality of life if in a chronic disease situation. But there's many, many chronic disease situations that can be completely alleviated. Um, takes time, but it can happen. Um, so that's the work I'm starting to really get into is really working with people with disease. And one of the things actually that I that I've loved most about the practitioner training is the whole section I had on women's health. Um, and if we can truly understand our bodies and our health and how to maintain through all the cycles of life, because we have so many different cycles, men have some, but their, their bodies are not even near as complex as we are. Um, so if we can understand the women's body, we can certainly understand the man's. Um, but there's just so many through life ways that we can support, um, and especially as we come into midlife, which um, is often the time where we are discovering we're not feeling well and disease might start to set in, or, you know, even if it's early stages, um, we start to question if we're doing the right things. And, and oftentimes this is when we're looking to, to bring balance. Um, the ideal would be before we get to this point, but it's not reality for so many of us, including myself, um, who is definitely in that midlife stage as well. So, um, so that was long. I'm glad we were talking about this because for some of us, what we didn't do till now is really catching up with us. And I think that we're really starting to feel it. And so we can start now. Exactly. You can always start. Years ago was first best, but now second best is right now. So exactly. So yeah, really really we're talking about self-care. So we spoke last time a little bit about the general overview, and I'll put the link to that in the show notes. But let's talk self-care specifically, and that because that's our topic today. Right, right. Did you want to start with anything, Kenny? I know you had a lot of different things. Or do you have a list? Because I want to go through the list yeah. then, or we you you could go through the list, and I can interject and then discuss how to use these tools in the morning. Mm -hmm. Because some things might be familiar to people and some things might be like we're really off the grid, right. but I want, I want people to be familiar with it. Mm -hmm. So do you want to maybe start with your list? We'll take one at a time and we can both speak a little bit or? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. I find that um, most people are coffee drinkers. You know, it starts their day because it just energizes them unnaturally. What happens with coffee is that um, it gets your mojo going, but it also affects your adrenals. And that's why you get the high and the low. And then you need another cup of coffee. So what's suggested is that if you really are a coffee drinker, you know, enjoy your cup of coffee, but don't start the day with coffee. Like don't start the day with, with a diuretic because you're going to deplete yourself. So start your morning with a cup of hot water or a cup of hot water with lemon. And that is like just a very simple thing to do. And it's just such a nice thing to do because you're not depleting your energy. You're not affecting your adrenals. People wonder why they're, you know, you get the highs and lows. And I don't, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I want to know what was so special about coffee. So I tested it out. And I mean, coffee does not agree with me because 
it gave me the highs and the very, very lows. And it scared me and it did affect my adrenals. So yeah, I get my energy from other, from my practices in the morning. Um, so that's number one. Let's just go back. When you say affect your adrenals, what do you talk, what do you mean? So you have adrenals, you have like these two little like adrenals that sit right above the kidneys in the back and they affect your whole endocrine system and they affect your hormones. And when, when people are like, you know, I'm so tired, why am I so tired? I mean, their hemoglobin is fine. They're ferritin, they don't have anemia, but they don't know why they're exhausted. And it could be that their adrenals are just not functioning properly. So it's affecting their hormones. It's affecting their, their, just their whole disposition. And, um, and I know that because years ago I had adrenal fatigue, you know, adrenal fatigue, there's different levels of adrenal fatigue. If you, if from one to 10, 10 is like Addison's, which is the only thing a Western doctor would acknowledge, but anything before that, it's like, it's in your head. It's in your head, but uh, an integrative doctor would understand that, you know, we have to tap into the adrenals, your diet, your lifestyle. So does that explain what the adrenals are? Okay. So then when we drink coffee, it's, it, goes it really exhausts. Yes, it does exhaust your body a hundred percent. And, and there's different, there's actually like so many other teas and different ways to get that coffee fix. Uh, without drinking coffee and there's also different levels of coffee because coffee is a, a mycotoxin it's 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 not really most coffees are not healthy they're high acidic um they're toxic you know they're i mean if i explained how coffee is made it would be a very big turnoff you know mm. the way they the way the 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 beans are made so it becomes really, really unhealthy for the body. And then, of course, it affects our whole endocrine system. So you have to be careful. But if you want coffee, at least have the hot water first before you have that diuretic. And I know a lot of people drink coffee for the diuretic effect. But that's something also to think about. Like, why aren't you going to the bathroom and eliminating without the coffee? But that's something to address as well. But the hot water is the way to go. And it's really nice to have that in the morning. And that's part of the ritual. Get up in the morning, wash your hands, go downstairs or whatever, and like just make yourself some hot water, drink stuff. It's a really, really nice, calming way to start the day, to start your morning. Okay. So do you want to just talk about coffee a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Can I just take a minute? Mm -hmm. um, I could actually do a whole webinar on coffee. <laughs> Okay. I, I'm not even joking. Um, and, and the reason being is because I am a coffee drinker. I've been a coffee drinker since I was like 15 years old. I've drinking, you know, my twenties and thirties, I was drinking a pot or two a day. Um, I kind of got into my forties and realized, I'm not sure this coffee is really helping me out. Um, but I've, I've taken it in and out of my diet numerous times to really understand the effect that it has on my body and just recognizing that we are all different. It will have a different effect on other people. Adrenals is, is a huge one. Um, and part of to build on the adrenal part of it is when we drink coffee, the instant effect is it releases cortisol, which is the stress hormone, which is eventually going to wear on the adrenals. Um, so if we're waking up 
in the morning and first thing we put in our body is coffee that's drying. It's a diuretic. So it's drying. Um, it, you know, gives us this kind of high and we're using all this energy that we really don't even haven't put energy in our body yet in the morning, but the mm -hmm. coffee's burning energy. Um, so there's a whole host of problems that can happen. And just to definitely reaffirm and reiterate what Genia said, drinking a warm cup of water in the morning is ideal because we wake up naturally dehydrated. And if we're grabbing for that coffee, it can be really just put us into a, a deficit for the day that we can be dehydrated and, and feel that all day long. Um, but I do want to give, yeah, go ahead. Now I want to mention the cortisol. The cortisol is the most important hormone in the body and we need cortisol. Like too much is, mm -hmm. we need cortisol, but we need it at the right time. We need it in the morning. So if you're getting, if you're drinking coffee and depleting yourself, it's like fake cortisol. It's like fake energy. So you're, again, it affects your hormones. So we need that. And that's, if people ha are having like hormone issues, I mean, that is something that a doctor really needs to look at when he does like a panel on you to see where your cortisols are, like, especially if you're exhausted, because that's like a really big hormone issue that a lot of women go through. Right. I'll just say just two more things about coffee and Ayurvedically speaking, um, you know, everything in moderation is the ideal in Ayurveda for most people. Um, there are certain doshas that like the Vata and Pitta dosha, if you're familiar and remember from our last conversation, those are the two specific doshas that really should stay away from coffee. Um, Pitta for the reason Pitta tends to be the hot dosha and um, coffee is also heating. So you're starting your morning with hot on top of hot. Um, and then the vata dosha is, is the dosha that's all in the mind and, and kind of always moving like I am right now. Um, that's kind of like where vata comes from. So it just really um, puts it to a whole nother level when you're drinking coffee, those movements or the, the thoughts in your mind, it can create anxiety, um, a whole host of problems there. But right. The kapha dosha, which is the one, the dosha that tends to be slow naturally, tends to be, um, yeah, we'll just keep it at slow, slow and sluggish. It actually can be as a medicine and helpful, um, but also depends on the time of year too. Like springtime is a season where if you're going to drink coffee, it's the better season because we're in the seasons season of wet, sluggish, slow, heavy, dense, and coffee is going to bring in the opposite of all those qualities. So thinking seasonally, we're trying to balance those qualities in our body. So the coffee can actually be useful for some, um, but again, probably shouldn't, it shouldn't be the first thing in the morning <laughs> and, you know, try to get some water for sure so that we're, you know, you're hydrated. But as far as what Jen's saying about like those doshas, those body constitutions, we have three of them. Some people have tri-dosha, some people. So these constitutions in lay terms, it's like the endomorph, ectomorph, and mesomorph. Like, so like, if you want to understand like, you know, the three body types, and then of course, Ayurveda goes into like the depths. It's not just a, the looks of the body, but like the personality and what's going on internally. So, right. Yeah. I just want to jump back with the question. We said it was to start the morning with water. And this, you gave the example of hot water or hot water with lemon. Is it 
the hot in the water or is it just any water and you're saying instead of having warm coffee have warm water you mean the question is is, does it, it is cold water okay too or room temperature okay that's that that is a good question because most people will go right for the cold water it's recommended to do the hot water because you always want to create this heat in your abdominal area and your guts and it warms up your gut. It calms your digestive system for the day. I mean, uh, Jen could talk about it more, but the cold, I mean, I, first of all, I would never drink cold water. I would do room temperature water. You don't want to shock your, your whole like digestive system, but the war, the, it's not even warm, like the hot, not boiling hot, but the hot water is very, very calming and therapeutic for the gut. Yeah, it's it's also just more hydrating, naturally hydrating, um, because it's going into, we have to heat everything up that we take into our stomach. So ideally warm is going to keep the fire going. So it's going to hydrate much quicker too. Um, drinking the warm water um, or the hot water, um, but also even not not just a little bit more beyond hot to take it a little bit further. Um, ideally, if you can boil your water and drink it from that, from a boiling point, no, you don't drink it from the boiling point, but you boil it first, let it cool down enough to drink. Um, it also helps by boiling, it helps it to, to break down the water so that the body can digest it. Um, you know, we have to digest our food, but we also have to digest our water. And sometimes water can be very hard for some people to, dip, to, to digest. Um, so boiling, it makes it much easier to digest and it's drinking it warm or hot is, is also much more hydrating. Yeah, it feels good. It does okay. feel good. Um, so the next one is, I mean, do you want to jump into another one? We'll go back. We'll tend to. Well, I just, I do want to ask the question about when to wake up we were saying to wake up with the sun so throughout the year it changes so now that it's springtime at least here in the northern hemisphere it's springtime the sun is actually earlier than it is in the winter are we getting up earlier good question ideally, <laughs> ideally yes um so the ideal is we're getting up with the sun or just prior to when the sun comes up so i think um where I am, we're in the Northeast as well. It's about 5.30 when the sun is rising. So even getting up a little bit before that, it's actually light, but the sun hasn't risen yet, um, is the ideal. But if you're not getting up quite a quarter after five or 5.30, like if you could definitely make an effort to get up by six o'clock in the morning because we start to enter a slow sluggish time of day when six o'clock hits. So if we're getting up into that, time of day that's naturally where we feel heavier, we feel more sluggish, um, it's just harder to move. Your day is going to be probably a little bit slower to start because you're just not feeling, even with coffee, um, it definitely can help, <laughs> but we don't want to try to bring our energy in with coffee. Um, getting up a little bit earlier, even if it's five minutes before six. is. You is know, it's interesting because my bo I have boys and they love to sleep in. I have more energy. I, so I get up between like five and six 30, like that's my happy hour. Mm -hmm. And, um, I have more energy when I get up at that. Well, I do go to sleep earlier than them, but I have more energy when I get up early or even if I go to sleep late, 
than when they get up at like 11, 12 o'clock. Why? Now, this is what's so interesting. The cortisol is what energizes you. So you want to benefit from that cortisol. And that's why people like the most successful people are like the morning people. Like when I'm on the 495, like at like literally six o'clock in the morning, sometimes it is packed. The trains are packed. These are like high energy people. They start off early in the morning. I know they're type A, but regardless, that's when they have the energy and they're using their energy. They're using their reserve at the right time. It makes a huge difference. I always explain that to my children because they don't understand if I slept so much. And I'm like, yeah, but you're sleeping past that cortisol, like, you know, that, that time where like you have the energy. It's, it's fascinating. You know, you sleep with the moon, you wake up with the sun. Like that, it's just like the rhythm of the world, the rhythm of nature. Okay, so we're waking up in the five five o'clock hour, at some you know either closer to six or closer to five or whatever it is. So we're working with the sun. Okay, so now we know when to wake up. We have that water, the warm water, pretty early after soon after we get up. What else can we do in the morning? Okay, so movement is really important, and it doesn't have to be a whole exercise class. It could be literally a few minutes on a towel or a mat. Um, and just move your body. And there are a few morning stretches that would just wake up your body, help your digestion, and just get your mojo going. So I know we're not talking about exercise movements, but I'm just mentioning that movement itself or going for a 10-minute walk doesn't have to be like an hour. You know, we're so type A. People, oh, the longer you walk, 10,000 steps, 15,000 steps. No, it's not like just walk, move your body, get your body, like just wake, wake up your body. So movement is really, really important. It also just gets the cobwebs out of your mind. Um, because right when you wake up your mind, that's what the mind wants to do. It's it plays tricks on you. It just starts to like make up stories. So you want to clean that up. <laughs> okay and um can okay. i mention one thing about movement in the morning you talked about a 10 minute walk and that is like perfect um outside and and if you can do your movement outside early in the morning shortly after you get up that actually works with our circadian rhythms and so if you are a person that struggles to sleep get up you know go get up early or get in bed at the right time or good time um just by getting outside for 10 minutes every morning can help to reset the circadian rhythms so that we can move with the sun and the moon so that we can go to bed with the moon and get up with the sun. It will. And sometimes when we're not spending time outside, especially in the morning, those rhythms can get very scattered. And that can be why sometimes we struggle to sleep at night because our circadian rhythms aren't working properly. Um, so the outside, I'll just, I'll always say that's <laughs> really important outside. Yeah. Being in nature. And if you could walk barefoot, oh my gosh, connecting yes. with energy, the negative energy in the body, we're meant to walk barefoot. So if you could just walk a little bit on the grass, concrete, I know like Brooklyn doesn't have much grass, but just walk outside barefoot. It is so therapeutic or on the sand, just connect mm -hmm. with the earth. I have a book called Earthing. Um, it's just really special. Or if you walk to the, um, the park, 
like because I know a lot of people walk to the park in Brooklyn. Um, just take your shoes off and walk around barefoot. So, right. so we're talking about we're talking about walking at least ten minutes of at least walking, yeah. ideally outside weather permitting, and even for rains, ten minutes is not even if it rains. Enjoy the rain, enjoy the snow, enjoy yeah, absolutely yeah, accordingly, and just go out there. Yeah. So next breakfast. So breakfast comes after breakfast comes like after all my rituals, because my rituals are very like, like, I just don't want food in my body when I'm doing my rituals, but I usually know what I'm going to be having. Like when you prepare, you prepare to succeed. Like I like to know what I'm doing, just like a calendar. Like, you know what you're doing the night before I look at your calendar and the night before. So you know what to expect the day before the day after but breakfast is important. Try to eat breakfast. That's digestible. Some people, I know in Ayurveda, there's questions about smoothies. Um, mm. And if you do have a smoothie, it shouldn't be cool. It should be room temperature. But I know that it's a very easy and easy thing to make. You know, you're getting all your nutrition and protein and all. Um, and it's easy to digest. But then there's so many other delicious things to have for breakfast. But that's also a very individual thing. But breakfast is really, really important. People think, oh, I'll just eat lunch. And that's a problem. Like we need to have three meals a day, you know, and you don't have to graze all day, you know, like just three meals a day, three and a half, four or five hours in between each meal, maybe a snack between lunch and dinner, because sometimes that's stretched. But we need to replenish just like a car we need to you know reboot can i say one thing ayurvedically about eating um breakfast of course being important in the three meals a day and the ideal in ayurveda for keeping balance and for self-care is not only just eating those three meals but i know this is hard but ideally the same time every day because that allows our digestive system to properly function and it, it actually learns over time. So if you can say, say, just for an example, we're eating at eight noon and five or whatever it is over time in a short time, if that's consistent, your body will learn that, okay, food's coming in a half an hour at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and, and the body starts to actually prepare for digestion because it knows food's coming the problem with skipping meals um, and even grazing through the day, it's definitely, grazing is not a recommended way to go at all through Ayurveda because your body, your, your digestive system never is able to rest. It actually taxes the system all day long. Um, and food doesn't get pro properly digested because the digestive fire is not optimal because it's, it's probably likely very low because it's constantly has food on it. And it's, it's, it's taxing it. So the ideal is three meals a day, same time. Um, I know that's not, that's difficult in our busy lives. I know that's the, probably one of my honest biggest challenges um, with my schedule. Sometimes there's just no time to eat and I might be grabbing something on the go, which isn't the best thing, but at least I'm trying to get something in. So I recognize that that's a huge challenge. Um, you know, in our world, but 
And as far as lunch, um, they say the best time to eat lunch is between 12 and 2. That's like when the sun is directly above you and it's and the food becomes more digestible. I mean, this gets very technical, but yeah. So breakfast. And to keep it simple, ayurvedically speaking, noon to, noon to 2 is when our digestive fire is the hottest um, every single day. So also that should be the ideally we're eating our largest heavier to digest biggest meal during lunchtime because we have the ability to digest it um whereas you know morning time digestion's just kind of waking up so if we keep it a little bit lighter and then our biggest meal at lunchtime and then supper should be something light because now our digestive system our fire is starting to lower and slow down and prepare for the night so um ayurvedically speaking, it's best for your biggest meal at lunch. Um, and that is one I've noticed really um, for myself. I used to always have my biggest meal for dinner. Um, and I've re really switched that over the past couple of years. And I notice a huge difference. I've actually gotten to the point where if I eat something heavy at night, I, I know I can't digest it and I can't even sleep because it's just too heavy. It affects um, my sleep. I know it's very hard because when you keep Shabbat um, and you have meal especially in, at this time of the year when you know you you eat really late we do mm -hmm. too it's very very challenging so you know you have to work with it Maybe you do you know, yeah yeah so we can serve less but yes i think that it's it makes it very challenging with the later meals and weddings too even though yes mm -hmm. Yeah, the 10 o'clock dinner time at weddings, like I've, I've been there, done that. It's hard. That's okay sometimes. It's just if we're doing it all the time, you know, like there's everything in moderation. So, you know, if we can keep it, you know, mostly on a schedule, but reality is, is we're going to be going to those weddings and eating late. Like that's okay once in a while. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of weddings. <laughs> is there? Going into I don't go to a lot of weddings. <laughs> um, actually DJ weddings, but um, that's just something else I do. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, but yeah, I guess if there's a lot, maybe. <laughs> well, there's but, a Shabbat once a week, so there's always that. Oh, wow. Right. right. But, you know, you could, there are tricks that you could do. You could serve fruit in the beginning instead of afterwards. Because if you, if you're eating a big meal and then you have fruit afterwards, that could really make your stomach like really uneasy because fruits get digested really, really quickly. And then you have all that food that the fruit is sitting on top of and it has nowhere to go. And then that's when you get stomach aches, you can't sleep at night. So, and in the old, like, People do that. They, you know, even at weddings, actually, they serve fruit in the beginning of a meal. My grandma like, used to serve the cantaloupe or the grapefruit at the beginning. Correct. Right. So, but now we've like started to serve it as a dessert. Right. So it's you know these are little things that you could play around with or have a lighter or maybe like serve everyone like something before Shabbat starts and then have a later dinner. I don't know, it's it is tricky, but you work with it. You try your best. Just a little trick if you're eating late at night and you're going to bed and your stomach is still full, if you lay on your left side, it actually helps to digest the food quicker because 
The stomach empties on the left side. So gravity is kind of working to pull it through the stomach and into the intestines. So it does actually assist in digestion quicker. And also just because of the way that our digestive fire sits in the stomach, kind of you think about a fire and the way that it needs oxygen and it needs space above to build that fire. So it's kind of the same thing. So it sits kind of just like to the left, the lower of, of the stomach. And so it's allowing space above to burn that fire. So it's kind of, it's helpful. Again, it's not the ideal. It's not something I necessarily recommend, but it's ways around, you know, working, working around things. There's always little tips and yeah. tricks. <laughs> I have for like, since I was a teenager, cause I, I study like the principles of Maimonides and he teaches those principles where you go to sleep on the left and you wake up on the right. And he explained it. I mean, you said the stomach, which is, but he explained that the liver, which is on the right, needs to do its job. You know, it's filtering all the food. So you let it be on top, but then you don't want to let the heart be on the bottom where it's like, like just like being squished all night. So you wake up on the right and people say, how do you, organize that and it just happens naturally as you train yourself but he but I remember my mind teaches that you know you go to sleep on the left you wake up on the right fascinating it is it is it's great it's amazing so I would love so we talked about the when to go to sleep like you know if you're not going to go to sleep at 8 30 <laughs> or nine, yeah, like between 9 and 10 is like a really really nice time if you can or just like prepare for bed just prepare yourself for bed um, but I would love to get into like the nitty gritties, like the oil pulling. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar, Deborah, are you familiar with oil pulling? We spoke about oil pulling last time. Okay. Yeah. I remember we did vaguely. Yeah. A little yeah. Bit. So, so this would be a morning routine you're talking about, right? Morning. Yeah. In the morning, in the morning. So like before, like you even brush your teeth, um, as we sleep, we, our mouth just collects so much bacteria and you'll see it on your tongue, your gums, so even on your teeth, like they, they don't feel smooth. So we oil pull, some people oil pull with coconut, some people oil pull with sesame. They both have different purposes. I could explain that. Uh, Jen could explain that. Um, so oil pulling is when you put the, like a tablespoon, like one tablespoon or maybe less if it really is uncomfortable in your mouth, like keep a jar in your bathroom and um, just swish it like that. You Some people do five minutes. I happen to do, I happen to make my bed as I'm oil swishing. I'm making my hot water as I'm oil swishing. So sometimes that, but that oil's in my mouth for like 20 minutes. And, and then I, spit it out, not in the toilet and not in the sink because it will clog. So you want to put it in the garbage or on a towel or something. And that's when you could start tongue scraping. So that's like another thing that I have it. I have a tongue scraper over here that I want to show you. Oh, good. I'm glad you brought one. I forgot to. Yeah. So, I mean, there's different ones. I mean, there's that this is like a really, really pretty one. So this is a tongue scraper. And I know like your health food store must have it. Now it's becoming more common, even like a regular health, like a regular um, CVS might even have a tongue scraper. 
and you just scrape it. You don't go all the way to the back of your throat, but you scrape your tongue. I do it about 10 times. And it, it seems really gross because it kind of is, but so much comes off that tongue. The thought of people not tongue scraping amazes me. Like mm-hmm. it's like, how could you not tongue scrape? Once like, you start doing it, you won't stop probably. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, because it's such a clean, like your mouth is clean, like your tongue is, and you you learn a lot from your tongue. So some people scrape and it's still white and it could be like, you know, a message, something is going on, but your tongue has so many buds in it and there's so much that's penetrating into those buds. So you want to just like scrape out all the bacteria and then you clean it up and then you brush your teeth. Some people brush your teeth before tongue scraping. I like to tongue scrape first and then I brush my teeth. So does it need the oil or that's totally separate? Like ideally you should do oil on tongue scraping, but if you don't do the oil, can you still, does the tongue scraping work just as well or? Well, it serves different purposes. So like the tongue, I mean, you could explain, Jen. Um, I would say at minimum, do the tongue scraping. And if you can incorporate the oil as well, that would be the ideal. Um, But what I find too with working with people um, as we start to build our morning routines and rituals, do the one that makes most sense to first and get really good at that. Like just add one thing at a time. So it's not about adding a bazillion things to your morning routine all at once. It's like one thing at a time. Um, I I wanted to talk a little bit about the tongue scraping, just uh, some of the detail about it. So we're, as Genia said, there's so much we can learn about our tongue. And oftentimes we're waking up and if we look at our tongue, you can see a white coating on it. And some people have a white coating all the time. Some people have it sometimes. Um, When you look at your tongue, actually the further you look back is actually presenting what your digestive system looks like and in particular your colon. So if there's a lot of um, white there, toxicity, then that means there's a lot of toxicity in the colon, not to scare anybody. Um, But just by simply scraping it off your tongue, and that's why I say like, if you pick one to do first, my recommendation would be uh, the tongue scraping first, because um, so when you're scraping toxins off of the tongue, you actually never want to brush, use a brush and, and scrape the tongue. I know a lot of people do that. Matter of fact, I used to brush my tongue before I knew about tongue scraping but you're actually pushing the toxicity back into your bloodstream. So you definitely want to use a tongue scraper or you can also use the back of a spoon. That can work the same. That's that's a, So you don't have to buy really anything fancy, but that's the other way. Just don't use your toothbrush to push. It'll push things back in. Um, but one of the other things that the tongue scraping does specifically is it's not just getting rid of the toxicity, but it's actually stimulating every organ in your body because there's a representation on the tongue of every organ. Um, and sometimes like if there's different things going on the tongue, you can see bumps somewhere or like ridges. There's a lot of things that you can understand, not tonight, um, that you can tell, but just by stimulating all of the organs in the morning. It can help to bring in energy into the body. Um, Also specifically, it really works on the digestive system. So if you're a 
person that's ideally we're eliminating in the morning. And when I say eliminating, not just peeing, but pooping, um, we like to talk about poop a lot in Ayurveda. Um, the, the tongue scraping actually stimulates the digestive system and gets ready to eliminate. So if you're somebody that struggles to eliminate in the morning or you're using coffee to eliminate, the tongue scrape, scraping can regulate that for you. Just that simple act of doing that every single morning. Um, and then over time, you'll find that you'll start pooping regularly. Because um, that's, I know not, a, it, that is part of the ritual that Ayurveda would say is poop in the morning. You know, it's not possible for all of us, but that's, that is the ideal. And, and yeah, so tongue, tongue scraping can help that too. Right. And that's why people drink coffee because they just want to do that in the morning. But right. That is a big reason. A lot of people use it as their way to eliminate. Right. So the next, um, well, the hydration is really, really big. Another way to increase your electrolytes and energy, like energy is to add a little Himalayan salt to your water. Like after you have your hot water, what I do is um, in the morning, I'll get my hot water ready, bring it upstairs because I do my rituals upstairs. And then I'll have my big glass of water, room temperature water. And yeah, so I'm having that before breakfast on an empty stomach. It is so nice to have that hydration on an empty stomach. It just goes through you. You just, it's, it's cleansing, but adding the salt, the uh, Himalayan salt could add like a tremendous amount of electrolytes. You don't have to buy electrolyte drinks from the store. You can make it yourself. So if you we're talking about the quart of water, how much salt is that? Maybe like a quarter teaspoon, like just like a Very little, little. Bit. Yeah, just a little bit. A little. It's not going to be overly salty in a large glass of water. Um, yeah, you could also do salt in water as a mouthwash. You don't have to buy mouthwash. You could just gargle with your own homemade, you know, homemade mouthwash. And then um, another great ritual, and I know for some people it's very hard to journal. Um, I know for me, like I go on and off with that. I mean, I do you know, like I do write my gratitudes, like what I'm grateful for, usually like the night, you know, before I go to sleep. Um, but it's really, really nice to give that recognition to all like the things you're grateful for. It doesn't have to be like a whole, it could just be three sentences, a few words, just to get it out, just to, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice way to go to sleep. It's just so calming and so like you're going to sleep with such good thoughts of like even like the challenges of the day there's still something you could be grateful for and then prayer which i know we do we 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 do those prayers um and just having the quiet time in the morning and i've learned this because i used to listen to podcasts while i was doing my rituals i used to listen to my lectures while doing my rituals and my Qigong teacher taught me a while back, like, those are so distracting. Like, you should listen to music without words. Just listen to sounds, like vibrational sounds or classical music. So you your body just hears sounds. Because words sometimes takes us to other places, takes our mind. So 
I just let go of all those podcasts and lectures and it feels so good because it's like so much information. It's like you can't even calm your mind when you're listening to all these lectures. It's like I would I would be always like a lecture junkie. And I was like, no, now it's time to just listen to classical music or vibrational sounds. So that's like how I practice my meditation. And when I say meditation, it could be meditation through movement. It doesn't have to be sitting in a lotus. Um, but I do my breath work. Um, but that's something that, you know, that's like a whole other, <laughs> that's like a whole other session that we could discuss. But breath work is really nice. It doesn't have to take long, just like a few minutes. But the breath work is really, really important also to bring just to wake up your vagus nerve, you know, that also is connected to your gut and, um, and just like connect with your breath, you know, and it also brings us into the state of presence, you know, when we're not in our mind, but we're in our breath. And so we're able to just be, you know, we, we, we're, you know, and then the day could start because the day is going to be like insane um, in a good way, but it's just going to be busy so now is your quiet time no words just chill for yourself it's like you're taking this time to be present and doing this for yourself like this is your like yeah this is your health and wellness um i jen and i were talking about um you know because this is a woman's um like a woman's um group a midlife group we want to talk about the importance of the transitions and the and the changes that go on, right? Like Jen, like like what happens to our body and how we freak out because the weight starts creeping up and and this is so interesting. So I'm going to let Jen continue that part because it's really fascinating. Thank you. Um. Yeah, so we obviously women, as I said earlier, we go through an enormous amount of change in our lifetime. Um, and as we come into perimenopause and menopause, clearly our body changes. Um, and I know that one thing in working with a lot of my clients that is, and including myself, I felt this way for a while too, um, the weight gain that almost many of us, I shouldn't say all of us, but many of us will will gain weight when we move into this transitional time. And it's oftentimes where we start to even go on stricter diets because we're not feeling, you know, things are changing. We're not feeling necessarily good about ourselves. We're gaining a little bit of weight. We haven't changed our diets, but things just naturally are happening. Um, and the one thing I just really wanted to point out is that as hard as sometimes it's to accept that weight gain as we move into midlife through menopause, that extra weight is actually important. It helps to keep us grounded, um, helps us to, it, it helps with longevity um, because it gives us something to ground us, keep us more stable through a time that we're going through intense changes in our body. Um, so learning to be okay with that little weight gain. Um, now I'm not talking about if you just, you know, put on 50, hundred pounds, that's, that's, you know, I'm talking about like 15 to 20 pounds is actually a pretty normal amount of weight to gain during this time. 
Um, and then usually by the end of menopause, when you're actually completely through menopause, you'll start to notice naturally if your diet is good and, you know, you, you do the things that you've been doing, that that weight will start to fall off again because now, but the body needs that weight to protect the health of the organs and all the systems as you move through menopause. Um, and then wow. the other yeah, I've spoken to several people about different aspects of nutrition, and we were talking about yes, it's hard to lose that weight, but I've never heard that it's actually a part of the whole menopause yeah. system that we actually should embrace it as much as we may not like the way it looks. It's good for us. It is good for us. Yeah, and it just again, you know, it's a not a huge weight gain I'm talking about, and it is harder to lose. Um, but it's, it's just not the time that we should be going on crash diets, um, restrictive diets. Um, it's actually, as we are in perimenopause and menopause, it's even more important to try to find your regular routines and rituals. Um, you know, the morning routines, evening routines, the two key ones are bedtime, going to bed, getting up same time every day and trying to regulate meals as much as possible. Um, to bring that stability, because it's all about we're, we're in this massive change, so much going on in the body and the mind, um, and to bring that stability, um, keep it learning to build those routines earlier than later is ideal, because it's harder as we get older to break some of the bad habits that we're doing and build the, the, the good routines. Um, but yeah, the, the weight thing is, it is hard. I, I get that, but um, it does help us to get through it. And a big part of it's stability. Right. I find that people, um, you know, when they go through that menopause, menopausal state, they'll like crash diet and then they'll um, work out even more to compensate. Mm -hmm. And then their body just goes into like exhaustion and then other things happen. Um, it is hard, but I find that when there is balance, when there is like this equanimity of like the way you eat and the rituals and like just taking time for yourself, your, your body won't like, you'll, you'll be okay. Like, you know, you don't have to be 110 pounds. Like, you know, you, you'll be like, you know, everyone thinks skinny is such a, an attractive thing. You want to be healthy. You know, you want to feel good in your body, you know, so that's really, really important. Um, I wanted to mention the, like another thing about the rituals, and this is a little more heavier, but I guess we have a, like five more minutes. And I, I wasn't sure I was going to mention this, but I am because it's so important to me and I feel like I need to share this. So a few years ago, I had a hysterectomy and because um, I went through some health stuff and um, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, like I hear all these side effects after a hysterectomy, like you get so dry and blah, 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 and, like, and then you gain weight. And, and I was just such a stickler with my rituals and you know, trying to figure out how I could holistically control, like, what's, what, what's happening with, like, you know, after this um, procedure, 
And I have to say that, like, it's amazing with knowledge and, of course, with discipline, like, you're, it's fine. It's fine. You could still be intimate. You could still, like, you know, I don't believe in all, you know, what the OBGYNs are giving you, the chemicals that you're injecting into your privates, like, you have to be really, really mindful because like you want to keep your body healthy. So um, I just wanted to bring that up because I'm going back to like the rituals, how important this is to keep yourself healthy with anything that you go through in life. So yeah, so it's nothing is a lost cause. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's amazing. You just take control of your life. And that's why these rituals are so they're so important and they're such a blessing. You know, like our body is a gift. You know, we have to, we really, you know, we take care of our children. We take care of our cars. We take care of our gorgeous houses and all. But like, what about our bodies? You know, what about our skin? What about our like teeth? What about our hair? Like, it, yeah, I mean, this is what we, we have to take care of it. And I'd like to point out something that I think of a lot when it comes to routines and rituals, how we seem to, everybody I've ever talked to seems to recognize that, you know, we have children and how important it is for our children to have routines to keep them in balance. You know, when our baby pees and poops, we talk about it, we talk about what it looks like, um, but then we start to grow up and we, for some reason, stop doing that with our own selves. And we can kind of see it with animals. If you don't have children, like it's the same thing. Like my husband and I, I mean, I have children, but um, you know, not, they're older and they're out of the house. But the dogs, you know, I take them out in the morning. The first thing I, he says to me when I come in is like, did they pee? Did they poop? You know, <laughs> and it's just, I just bring it up because it's, you know, we recognize how important. I think we probably most of us really recognize how important routines and rituals are because we see that in our children, our animals and other people. But for some, you know, women in particular, because we're the ones raising the families, um, and we're not always taking care of ourselves. Um, but it is key to take care of ourselves because we, if we're not, if we're not healthy, we can't be healthy for the, the people that we love. So just recognizing it's so important for you too. <laughs> so I'm curious how long your, each of you, how long your morning rituals take you? Can you mm -hmm. start with you? That's a good question. So it is, it's a great question because I find the earlier I get up, the longer my rituals, because I have time to spend, um, because I'm out of the house very early. So um, it could be like 20 minutes. It could be, and I don't want to scare you, but it could be an hour and a half. Like it, de it depends. But, you know, what I do is not what everyone else would do. Like, you know, I do my yoga practices. I do my my pranayama, my, my deep breathing practices. I do my, like, I mean, there's a lot that I do that I'm not going to say, like, like Jen said, you don't have to do everything, mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm at a point where like, I love doing that. Like it, it's on a chore for me. Like, this is the way I like to start my day. That's why when I get up early, like, like part of me is like, oh, I would love to sleep in. And then I'm like, no, I'm getting up. I have so much to do now. I get to do so much more than I would have done if I went back to sleep. So I just like hop right onto my mat. And I 
literally keep my mat open in my bedroom. Like it is there for me. Like I don't like put it in a corner in the closet. Like it is waiting for me. Like, you know, so, because that's really important to me. I call my mat, my magic carpet, my vacay, my little mini vacay. And, um, and then I start doing my stuff. So yeah, to answer your question. Jen. What about you, Jen? Um, mine varies a little bit, kind of depends on my schedule that day. Um, my very regular routines are about 20 minutes. Um, the ones that I never skip. So like, you know, the getting up, washing my face, brushing my teeth, the tongue scraping, the oil pulling, um, getting outside. I have dogs, so that's actually an easy one for me, getting outside and just doing a, a walk around the yard. Um, those are really kind of my core ones. Depending on the day, there's times where I have time to do my yoga and meditation practice in the morning, but that sometimes waits until evening too. It just really depends um, it always happens, but it's, and, and so with that said, like, that seems kind of like a regular, but the body can also get used to, if you have your core things that you do in the morning, and it doesn't have to be more than 20 minutes, it can be even be 10. Um, just as long as you have those regular things that you're doing. Um, and then on the days that you can fit a little bit more, take that time to do it. Right. If you have time, but if you know, time. Right. I just realized we forgot one more, which is so important to me. I, I wish I remember this. I mean, I remember now and I know it's getting late, but I have to share this with you. So this is a dry brush. I have different ones. So these are dry brushes. So they're not wet. They're not for the shower. They're, they're kept dry. And this, I dry brush my body. I mean, Jen, I'm sure you do this as well. So I go from like the top all the way, I mean the bottom, like from my feet all the way up my leg, my arms, my belly. The, I have to use this one for my back, um, my chest, you know, so I, um, even my backside, like I try to get into like my kidneys. Um, so what's great about dry brushing is that it really stimulates the lymphatic system. And the lymphatic system is like the body's garbage can. It doesn't have its own filter. So we have to filter the garbage to get it moving in the body. So I just love waking up to this. So like sometimes I get to take a shower after because your body, like all this dead skin comes off. Um, but this is like a really big one. I love this. If you have any more questions about this, you could write it in Facebook because um, and I'll respond or, you know, you could ask me Torah, but this is like a biggie. That's every morning or a few times a week. You could do it a few times a week. I'm pretty like religious about it, but, um, yeah, I like to wake up to this cause it also wakes up my, my body. You know, this one's a little harsher because the metals are very, very harsh, but you don't have to get such a harsh one and they sell them everywhere, but you want to get natural bristles. Um, but I just, I really want to share that with you because that's like a really big ritual, um, that's so healthy for your body and especially, and it also helps with cellulite, you know, cause it gets things moving in your body. Yeah. Oh, uh, Jen, do you have anything? Yeah. I just wanted to talk about the dry brushing a little bit too. So, um, and not to undermine anything you said, Genia at all, but Ayurvedically speaking, um, it's not advised for all people. So if you're more of a Vata constitution, um, not to say it's not advised, 
Um, but if you have more of a vata constitution, and that's a person who generally has a small frame, they might have very dry skin, um, might have very thin skin, is not even just the dry, but thin skin. You want to be careful with dry brushing too much. It wouldn't, like a vata person, I wouldn't recommend every day. Um, a kapha person, definitely every day. Um, pitta kind of in between. Um, but it also depends on season Ayurvedically. Um, so springtime is a time where most of us should probably be dry brushing every day because that's coming back to the qualities of heavy, dense, thick, sluggish. That's what our bodies are doing inside. It's the same qualities we see in nature. Um, and so that's where the lymphatic system is slow, sluggish, and we want to get things moving. Um, but just being, I just wanted to, I don't know if you can really see these, but for more of a, a person who has thinner skin like myself, <laughs> um, more of the vata skin, I use the, these are like silk gloves. And when you feel them, there's no roughness to it, um, but they work really, really well. And they actually, I'm, I'm assuming the regular brushes do this. I don't know as much about the regular brushes because I always use this. I actually do a, a body treatment called Garshana, which is basically dry brushing. Um, and I do that on people as well. Um, but it, it creates this static electricity in the body that really helps to move. And I'm thinking that the regular dry brushes do that too. Um, so it doesn't have to, I just wanted to point out, it doesn't have to be something. Right. So some people use face cloths, a dry mm -hmm. face cloth. So um, I know in uh, Hippocrates, um, that's what they use. They use, that's the health institute in Florida. So they use um, just face cloths. They actually yeah. recommend the face cloths because yeah. it's less harsh. Yeah. 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 So start with the face cloths because you already have that in the house. And if you feel <laughs> you want to move further, then you can try something else. Exactly. I see, what I'm getting all of this is that spend some time for yourself and then you get very specific things and the benefits of those specific things. But just spending time for yourself in the morning is psychologically and emotionally good for you. And then, of course, all the physical benefits of those particular things that you spoke about. Exactly. exactly. And it just starts your day. For you. Right. Because you might not get another moment in the day for you if you can take that short time. Absolutely. Yeah. And at five, six o'clock, there shouldn't be that many texts. And I think the phone should just not be part of it at all. I agree with that. We, we, we don't want to wake when we were picking a phone up, we're on somebody else's agenda instantly because we're checking our text messages, Facebook, our email. We're working on somebody else's agenda in a sense. We're not working for ourselves, And so if we can refrain from doing that for a short time, enough to spend time with ourself, um, no matter whatever it is you're doing, um, that's key. Yeah, I think like what Eugenia said before about the music, just listening to music or podcasts kind of takes your mind away. I think looking at your texts and things you're going to have to do later today is even more so taking your mind away from dealing and appreciating your rituals for yourself. Mm -hmm. So really keep the phone away. Yeah, you'll get back to it later because it's eating up your precious self-time. So even if your sounds are coming from your phone, maybe get another device so that they're not coming out of your phone. You were talking about your music or your nature sounds. Maybe there's some other device coming oh, over. off bringer. Right. Right. But once you start touching your phone, it's so easy to, or so addictive to go to all the rest of it. That's all right. I'm it's so automatic. A different device would be better. Always better. Yeah. 
I, yeah. Or I'll invite you to just sit outside nature and listen to the sounds of nature. <laughs> Those are my favorite sounds. It's just kind of sitting with the birds and it's such a beautiful, like there's, it's a symphony in the morning. I, of course, I don't, it, New York might be different. I don't know. I'm in the country. <laughs> so, but um, that that's what I do every morning. It's like the first thing is being outside, just listening to the symphony, symphony of nature waking up. It's right. beautiful sounds and doesn't involve any technology. Yeah, it sounds just like Brooklyn. Actually, Brooklyn, <laughs> Brooklyn does have its birds. Brooklyn does have its birds that you can hear underneath the uh, ambulance sirens. Oh. <laughs> in between. Right. 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 Uh, but this was very helpful. I think we shared a lot of interesting pieces. And um, we'll put some show notes as far as the link to last time's talk and some of the different uh, things that we spoke about. And maybe if you have some recommendations of actual products, uh, like this ton scraper or something like that, we can also add those as well. So just so people can really make it as simple as possible, take away some of the barriers. I don't know which one to get. Well, here's a recommendation. So like, so maybe we can do that as well. Perfect. Okay. All right. So as we're wrapping up, how can people reach you, each of you? We'll start with you, Genya. Yes, yeah, so I'm on uh, you know, www.genyatab.com. My number, all my information is there. You could text me um, all over like IG and um, email me. It's also my name. Um, yeah, just like Facebook. You're everywhere. And Jennifer? Uh, so my website is genzenliving.com. Um, all my contact information is there. I also have a Facebook page, which is at Gen Zen Living. Um, best way to get a hold of me. Yeah. Right. So thank you both. This has been a really enlightening conversation. And I hope that we continue more conversations about this important, just balanced living. Thank you. Thank so you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for joining me in another fascinating conversation about midlife. If you'd like to reach me, Devorah Krasniansky, to talk about your midlife or anything else, you can reach me at jewishmidlife at gmail.com. You can also find us on our website, jewishmidlife.com, and follow us on Jewish Midlife on Instagram or Facebook, and join our conversations in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Jewish Women Talk About Midlife. And share what we're doing with your friends and others in the midlife phase.